This podcast is supported and sponsored by my good friends at Hunted. Now, did you know that research shows having a strong employer brand will reduce your time to hire by 50%, reduce your cost per hire by 50%, improve the retention of your staff by 28%, make candidates three times more likely to trust you, and double the number of qualified applicants. But developing a strong employer brand is not just about creating great content. What's even more important is getting that content seen as much and as often as possible. If you have a careers page, how do you actually drive traffic to it? If you have an Instagram account, how do you grow your following? If you're creating great content, like videos or podcasts or blogs, how do you actually get it seen by more of your target audience? Hunted is the place where recruitment brands can tell their story in a way no job post ever could. Learn what works, develop a sustainable employer brand strategy, and reach more recruiters than ever before with Hunted. And I've been working really hard on getting an exclusive deal for all of you guys, for recruitment rollercoaster listeners. Up until the end of June, the end of this month, you can get a huge 50% off their annual subscriptions. Use the code rollercoaster50 and claim your profile today. I've had a sneak peek at what the Hunter team are up to, what they're working on, and trust me, you do not want to miss out on getting on this platform. Save money and use the amazing offer that all of you guys have access to. Claim your profile today. So the big question is this, how do the best recruiters and recruitment business owners ride the highs and lows of recruitment whilst ensuring they remain at the top? How do they stay consistent? How do they manage their time? How do they cultivate the correct mindset? And what are the best recruiters and recruitment businesses doing differently? These are the questions that all recruiters want to know the answers to. This is the podcast where I have real and honest conversations with some of the most talented recruitment professionals globally to uncover all their secrets. My name is Hisham Azuz. Welcome to the Recruitment Rollercoaster Podcast. Welcome to the Recruitment Rollercoaster Podcast. My name's Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by John Gorhan, who's a CEO of Finney James, who are a specialist tech sales recruitment business, have offices in Manchester, London, San Francisco, New York. They currently have circa 45 people in the business currently have been going for 17 years in July. And uh, me and John have sat down previously. John's also participated in a live podcast webinar during this period as well. But what we're going to do today is going to be a bit bit different. I think, uh, John, obviously you thought it'd be a good idea with so many recruitment business owners, recruiters thinking about what is work going to be like after this. Um, how flexible is it going to be? Am I going to be in the office five days a week? Like, what does actually returning to work look like? Um, and I know that you've had some interesting experiences in the past with things that you've implemented with your business. 
that I think you felt that you were really inclined to sort of share and sort of talk about how you're thinking about things and the conversations that you're having. Um, so we're going to have a sort of dedicated conversation. We've got a bit of a, an agenda around, I guess, the future of returning to work, returning to a recruitment business, right? Correct. So um, I think I think you did talk a bit about this when we, we sat down a while ago, but I think what we wanted to start with is project freedom and what that project was to you and your business. And let's just, just start there and fill everyone in on sort of what that project was all about. Okay. Yeah, so project freedom was... Uh, an experiment that we ran uh, two years ago now. So uh, myself and Sarah, uh, my wife and business partner, and James May, our MD, we, we sat down and we basically said, let's just break everything up and, and see can we experiment on working in a slightly different way. So we, we'd all worked in recruitment. Well, certainly myself and James had worked in recruitment for, you know, I was 25 years in, James was 10, 12 years in, and we kind of said, look, is there a way of doing things where we can be more productive, more efficient, and have more fun, and you know create more revenue and make more profit? And we kind of uh, looked at two or three things we could do, do, and then we settled on what we termed Project Freedom. So we started with one team, uh, so it was our Amir team, and we basically sat down with those five people and we said, look, moving forward for the next six weeks, you guys can work where you want, when you want. And the only thing we are physically interested in is the results. So it's the, the interviews, uh, the revenue, the deals, the profit. That's the only thing we want to talk They're about. The only outcomes. It, all outcome-based, all results-based. Uh, and so we basically said, if you want to spend some time in the office, you can do that. If you want to spend time at the beach, you can do that. If you can, if you want to, you know, work a couple of hours in the morning and, and some hours in the evening, and basically spend the day on the golf course, that is absolutely fine. We're, we're only interested in in the results. And what was interesting is for the six week period, what we found was that uh, the performance levels for that particular team increased. And one of the main takeaways was the the quality of the interviews they were setting up increase. So whereas in the past, people would be you know, inclined to maybe set up a, an interview for a, a 35, 40K level candidate, what was happening is they were basically going further up the food chain and setting up interviews that would ultimately bring bigger fees. So the, the interviews were getting set up for 60, 60K base level candidates or 70 or 80. So they tended to get the same number of interviews as they were doing pre-experiment, but the, the the quality of the interviews and the value of the deals that would come in on the back of that was increased. So that the quality of the work, you know, they were taking things more seriously in terms of what am I trying to achieve here? What am I trying to uh, do as opposed to getting another interview on the board? Yeah, because they, they were the only things, it was outcome-based, right? They were the only things that was their North Star, what they was aiming for. Yeah, correct. And, and what we had looked at in the past, you know, you, you know, we, we had looked at something a few years previous where, you know, you'd sometimes see somebody, oh, you know, I've arranged six interviews this week. And they might be super junior opportunities uh, on not so great fees. 
And even if you did get, you know, a deal, you know, it wouldn't really kind of, you know, move the dial and, and get you where you wanted to be. Whereas it was a bit like, you know, getting that number on the board isn't as important. It's, it's the profit, it's the revenue, yeah. it's the, the outputs, it's the, uh, it's the end game they're thinking about. So uh, they became that bit more organized and that bit more disciplined. And I remember at the time, you know, a couple of the girls who were, you know, within that program, uh, they were basically doing a gym class together at six o'clock in the morning. They were getting up at five o'clock in the morning, doing a gym class, uh, being super energized, and then cracking on through the work. And then they'd have like all evening to chill out and relax and socialize, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, their mental health improved, their productivity improved, their efficiency improved. And it got to a stage when we then did, we looked at the results and we kind of thought, right we're going to roll this out across the whole business. Okay. That's where it went a little bit wrong. <laughs> Cause uh, I think that, that I think, cause that's what, what you said is that's what people are going to be thinking about now. Right. So what are we going to be rolling out across the business? I think this is what, so that's great context and yeah, that's really interesting. So yeah, please do share how it then went when you started to yeah, so get more people involved. I think because we thought we've had a team do it and it's worked really well. We kind of thought what we don't want to do is pick and choose who we give this yeah. kind of project to because that would have seemed kind of maybe at the time it seemed unfair. And it was these guys were so positive about their experience and they were coming into the office then absolutely glowing and, and buzzing and super successful. And this is amazing that there, there could have been a bit of jealousy if, if other people. Yeah, definitely. So what we basically said was, right, you know, this is this is the same for everybody. Now, where we got things a little bit wrong is people who had been in the business three, four, five, six months, who had maybe graduated from university, you know, 12 months earlier, they weren't ready <laughs> that amount of freedom and that amount of flexibility. And everybody had, you know, a plan, you know, yeah, you know, I'm going to start work a little bit later, but I'm going to work into the evenings. And that was great, you know, on paper. But in practice, it was, you know, you start a bit a little bit later and you finish on time and you don't catch up on the work you didn't do. And, you know, people would say, yeah, you know, I'm going to pop into the office on a Tuesday, but then it's suddenly raining and then they don't. But, you know, we were having people kind of ringing us up saying, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be calling in later and I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to, what, why are you telling us? Yeah. They, they couldn't understand the whole kind of flexible nature of things. So people were like reporting in and, you know, I just wanted to tell yeah, you what felt, I was doing. felt like that they had to let you know that they're working. Yeah. And it's like, well, that, that's cool. But we don't need that. And, you know, what we're interested in is what you've achieved on a Friday. So the way we played it, we said, look, you, you've got to be in on a Monday morning to get your kind of morning meetings done and your plan and your strategy. And you've got to be in Friday afternoon. Between those times, you know, you do what you want and where you want to do it. And if you want to work in a Costa or a Starbucks, that's mm -hmm. cool too. But what was happening then is people weren't getting through the work and it tended to be the, the more junior people. Yeah. Uh, they weren't getting through the work and they were then kind of coming up with excuses. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I would have done that, but this happened and that happened. And, and it was basically in many respects, they couldn't be trusted, but, as far as I'm concerned, it's a bit like, you know, when you go from school and college yeah. to university, you know, people make that transition. And then suddenly, very often, there's not a register. 
Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. It's a good comparison. Uh, so there's no register, you know, there, there's no kind of roll call, you know, there's no kind of, you know, checking in and doing this and that. And what you find is some people go into that environment at uni and absolutely excel and they love the freedom and they love the flexibility and they love the idea of managing their own time. Other people don't go into any lectures, bail out after three months, and it was just too much for them. So I think what we realize is that, you know, if we were to do run the project again, and, and you know, I think there's a good chance we will, we would put certain parameters in place. And, you know, for certain people who've got to a certain grade in the business, maybe they can be, be afforded the flexibility yeah. and the trust. But if you haven't got to a certain point in your career whereby you can physically do these ma- ma- metrics, you know, in a normal environment, then that was the difficulty. You know, people who had struggled maybe to, to do four interviews a week in normal conditions, asking them to do it working from home without a manager on tap or a director on tap to kind of answer questions was probably too big an ask. So we, we put too much trust, too much responsibility uh, into inexperienced people. And how long was that period, John? Yeah, so we ran that for another eight weeks. Eight weeks, okay. And the interesting thing is, you know, we, we didn't we didn't lose money. You know, we it didn't it didn't kind of have a massive impact in a positive way or a negative way. However, we, we were getting people come back to us saying and we gradually saw more people spending more time in the office. In the office. And we had even like managers saying, look, you know. I kind of, you know, if you would have told me kind of three months ago I was going to get this opportunity, I would have thought it was actually amazing. It's not as good in practice as it sounds on paper. And I think it'll be the same now. You know, the people who've been working from home for three months who thought working from home was the, working from home was the holy grail are now kind of thinking, you know what, you know, it's been fine and I've done okay, but getting into the office two, three days a week sounds you know, a lot better as a plan for me. And it's a bit like for yourself, Hisham, you know, you've been, you know, working from home for the last couple of months and then suddenly uh, I've seen stuff on LinkedIn, you seem to be more energised and more positive and yeah, yeah, more, yeah. Uh, more enjoying life, the fact you're actually getting into your office in London now on a, you know, a daily basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think all, all I'd probably add, the caveat to that, John, I'd say is that, and a few people have said this to me and it's completely right is that working from home now isn't working from home like before this do you get what i mean i think i think that's a real important factor to highlight isn't it that um and and that's why i think that's what's going that's going to be the interesting part as as things change and as things get to quote unquote back to normal i think um what does the actual future of a normal typical recruitment recruiter week look like but I guess just to round that off then, John, what, what were the, I guess, what were the, just to wrap that up, what were the key learnings then of that sort of initial four to six week period of the um, initial team and then the, the eight weeks of everyone? What were the key learnings? So clearly it was about actually um, people that maybe hadn't had as much experience, found it way more difficult. But what were the key learnings um, from Project Freedom? I think the key learnings and then, so if you look at the kind of the initial pilot experiment with five or six people yeah then doing it on mass 
what we found in, in many respects is the, the the pilot that we did was done with more experienced, more mature, more recruitment savvy individuals. Yeah. So in hindsight, you know, because they wanted it to work, it was always going to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, you know, our learnings were, right, if we were to kind of go for a similar experiment again, to look at a kind of a blended team where you've got an experienced person with a rookie, with a junior, and have, uh, you know, our team, our EMEA team at the time were one of our strongest teams. Mm. And so in hindsight, we could have used a kind of an average team with uh, a better collection of people. But I think our biggest kind of learnings from it was that, uh, people need to understand, you know, you, you can't assume that every individual is like you. Yeah. They totally get what an output-based kind of scenario looks like. So I thought it was pretty clear that, look, you know, if the goal and the objective is to register four candidates, arrange four interviews, and get, you know, a deal to two deals a month, for me – if I would have been told that 25 years ago when I got into recruitment, I would have thought that's pretty easy. That's pretty basic. Right? I know what I need to do. I will crack on. For some people, uh, there wasn't the straight edges and the clarity that they, they, they really understood that. So what we didn't put in place was, uh, you know, what they were responsible for mm. and what the, the kind of the metrics would look like to support for interviews. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so what we didn't put it, you know, we didn't want, you know, strict KPIs, but what we could have put in place would be more kind of the expectation is you will spend X hours doing this and you will make that many calls and you will do this many LinkedIn updates and you will do. So I, I think what we didn't put in place is, you know, what are our, what you're responsible for as an individual and what are the repercussions if you don't do that? Mm. So... We had guys not doing it week one and not doing it week two. And we hadn't really empowered our billing managers to basically say, right, what are you going to do when they don't do it? So uh, we weren't having the radical candor and the difficult conversations and just say, look, we've laid this out. This is what you need to do. Why aren't you doing it? What help do you need? What support do you need? So we had people kind of failing and instead of them thinking, right, I've got to. So if it was if it was me, I would have thought, right, okay, look, I've, I've not done my numbers. I need to work some extra hours now to get to my four interviews. They were just thinking, well, it's Friday, you know, I've not done it. <laughs> let's, you know, manana, manana, manana. You know, let, let's give it a go again next week. So yeah, no, I think. Sorry, was you going to say something else? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, you need the repercussions in place. But what happens if you don't do it? So if you're going to go results orientated, like, for example, you know, if I give you, you know, the analogy of a, a football team, you know, football's back on as of Wednesday and you've got Man United Tottenham tonight. But uh, what's interesting is, let's say you've got to half time and you've had a bit of a stinker. Your manager sends you out and he basically says, look, you've got 15 minutes to nail this or you're going to get hauled off. You know where you stand. And, you know, you will either do it or, or you'll be substituted at the 60-minute mark. And I think if you've got quite inexperienced billing managers and it was new to them as well, we hadn't really explained it. Because the, pro the pilot had worked so well, we just assumed that 
everybody's going to be really into this and everybody's going to kind of make it work. What we didn't realize was that the communication between consultant, billing manager, billing manager, director slash owner wasn't as connected as it needed to be to get a program like this up and running. Yeah. I think that that's really interesting, John. I think it's exactly that, isn't it? So it's clearly, I think you hear a lot of people sort of saying online about sort of look, we need to be more outcome based, more results orientated, don't need to hit people with the, the KPI stick. But I think it's it's what you just said. It's like, yeah, we need to know what success looks like. But and then actually what would have really helped our guys and will help people is just saying, so this is these are the results that you need. But just to give you an idea of typically what someone has done in the past to get them that or help them achieve that is this, this, this and this. And then the final bit, which you've just said, is then, and by the way, these are the sort of minimum standards that we require. Um, as I said, this is outcome. We, John, you, this is sort of the ultimate goal. However, we know that typically the formula to help you achieve that is these types of numbers. And the minimum standard is this, unless you're communicating with me saying, hey, John, I know I haven't called as many people or whatever, but actually this is what's to get what I mean. So I think it's what you said, right? It's actually there's got to be some sort of goals or expectations in place. So by the way, this is the formula to get those outcomes that you can aim for. You don't have to get it exactly, but typically this is what you're looking at and what to expect. And then from a management perspective, it's then like, okay, well, by the way, this is the line where this is the minimum standard of output or effort or whatever it is that you're measuring that we need from you. Uh, yeah. um, okay, that, that, that's really interesting. So I guess with, with, this, with this sort of insight then and what we're talking about, like what's your mindset towards returning to work and the sort of future of the Finley James workplace in, 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 in today? Because uh, I think it's going to be different, right? So, so I've been to your office. You've got quite a bit of space, which I'm sure helps with sort of making the your workplace safe. But what what's your mindset towards bringing people back to work? What are you thinking about? Yeah, so I mean, we've been having discussions over the last couple of weeks on this, and, and what we want to do is is we we've got let's say out of 45 people, we've got 30 people on furlough at the moment. Okay. What we wanted to do was make sure that everybody's communicated with effectively and everybody knows where they stand. So what, what's good now is everybody knows what date they return to the business. And God, that helps. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> so we've got some people coming back July 1, some people coming back August 1, some people coming back September 1. But they know what the plan is. And uh, what we've got then is a combination of some people are going to be coming back in July full-time to complement the people we've still got on the pitch now some people are coming back three days a week and I put something out on LinkedIn yesterday you know how, how are you going to manage three days a week I'm really intrigued as to whether you know some people it may well favor a Tuesday Wednesday Thursday other people may well favor you know an all-day Monday four half days you know Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday morning so we're going to basically look at a bespoke solution for everybody and kind of what suits the individual based on their circumstances. Now, we imagine that if somebody, for example, up in Manchester is working three days and they're working Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, the likelihood is two of those days of the three will be in the office, one will be from home. 
Now, if, for example, people in London don't want to jump on a tube and they're working three days or they're working five half days, the likelihood at the moment is they'll do that from home. So what we're looking at HM is a, a bespoke solution for each and every person within the business that we can support. And so if they want to be in the office, they can be in the office. If they want to work predominantly from home, they can work predominantly from home. Uh, but what we are going to make, make sure we do is get those tangibles in place whereby, you know, if you are working three days a week, you know, we, we need... These are you know, the expectations. Yeah, these are the expectations in terms of candidates registered, uh, new job specs taken, you know, if you're a 180 uh, client-based individual, uh, interviews arranged. Because what, what we've found in the last three months is our numbers in terms of, you know, interviews arranged per person for people who are still on the pitch have actually increased. Okay. So what, what we found is, you know, the, the ability to arrange interviews uh, hasn't been diminished through COVID. So, yes, there's less jobs, but the jobs that we have got are as committed, if not more committed, than the ones we had pre-COVID. So, you know, people like you might have met within our business, you know, people like Rihanna Sarsons has actually arranged more interviews on a weekly basis over the last three months than she was doing pre-COVID. Mm. And she's working from home and not having to travel into London from Hemel every day and things like that. So, you know, we're get basically seeing it get done during COVID. And so we don't anticipate individuals coming back doing three days a week. It's not going to be a case where but if they're not arranging interviews, we're going to have a problem. Yeah, yeah, okay. And then just quickly, sorry, maybe I'm, I didn't understand this right, but the free, so is, is, are you talking about part-time furlough there? Is that Correct, what yeah. Yeah, okay. So what, what we want to do is still manage our uh, overhead. Yeah. And so, you know, if we've managed to, let's say, reduce our overhead by 50%, you know, over the last three months, you know, we've got a number now that's more achievable and doable than it would have been uh, pre-COVID. So our philosophy is, you know, that overhead will increase to some extent in July. It will further increase in August. It will further increase in September. We're trying to make incremental. It'll be incremental. Um, and, you know, we're managing that workflow. And, and, you know, even like we've had people come back into the business who are working full time at the moment who may well only be working two and a half, three days a week in, in July. And we, we'll play it by, by the week. You know, if somebody has, you know, a real tough week and they're really struggling and then, you know, the following week they'd be more comfortable only working two or three days, we'll, we'll, we'll play that by it. And it, it, it's managing the the overhead and managing the the capacity. Yeah. To get people so, in the so very simply, then for people listening, because a lot of people might be getting this communicated to them or thinking about this, is so basically very simply is you, so the the sort of next part of this scheme is that you can bring people back on part time to do part time hours that you pay for right that you you pay out of uh, for the business and then the other part there to top up to their that for them to get their full time wage would be then compensated by the government yeah so the the way we see it and hopefully i've got this right uh, <laughs> embarrassing if i haven't is that if somebody for example is working 3 days a week then our understanding is that they'll get the 80% for the from the government for the 2 days and they'll, they'll get the 100% from Finley James for the three days. So they will end up with 92% of their normal yeah, salary. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. 
Uh, and then, you know, if you're working two days at the ATA, if it was four days, 96. So that's our reading of it. But what we're hopeful, of, what we have to be considerate of is that if you've been on furlough since, let's say, April 1, and you've done April, May, June, July, you come back August, the transition from going from doing no work to, oh my God. you know, is going to be horrendous. It's, it's a bit like, you know, when you leave uni and you, you get your first gig or your first recruitment job, you're absolutely, day four, you're exhausted. Yeah. So, you know, you were in recruitment, it will have been the same thing. It's like, oh my God, you know, there is so much to take on. All you do is sleep and recruit. <laughs> so we think for those guys, uh, you know, getting them in three days, so they gradually kind of Hopefully weed help, off yeah. furlough is, is the way. But I think the, the key thing, even now, you know, we've got some of our top villas who are on furlough because, you know, they weren't in the right kind of mental place to be cracking on with work at the moment. So we, we wanted to support everybody's mental health. And the ones that we have on the pitch want to be on the pitch yeah. and want to be cracking on and want to be working. And the, the ones who want to still be on furlough are on furlough. So we acknowledge that there's a lot of talk and a lot of uh, noise on, on LinkedIn about, you know, people who are on furlough who don't want to be on furlough. And people who are in work who don't want to be in work, we we don't have that. You know, we basically have a balance whereby the, the guys who want to be on the pitch are on the pitch, the guys who don't want to be on the pitch now, or don't want to be on the pitch full time come July, won't be on the pitch full time. Yeah. Okay. So what what was keen just get your thoughts on John? So when we're talking about because this is where where I think a lot of people would be thinking about and relate they might they might know that come July that they're gonna be working three days a week, etc. So ju- just quickly, like how much so you know you said they're around the sort of bespoke, John, you're back three days a week and and um if you tell me like how like I guess what I want to know from you is like how much of it have you pull it in like the ball in their court, if you get what I mean? Like have have it, has it really been led by, hey John, look, like you told us that you're keen to come back Three that we've agreed it's three days a week. You, that's what you communicated, um, yeah. and then have you said how do you want to do it? Yeah, the, the, the ball's totally in their cup because what, what I realise is having somebody do something they don't want to do is a waste of time. It doesn't work. I, I've got twenty-year-old children who are second year at uni, and if they don't want to do something, they don't do it. Yeah, and. Uh, I waste a lot of energy and a lot of time trying to encourage them to do things they don't want to do. And it's, it wastes my time. So what I realize is that if you put the ball in the individual's court, uh, then they're empowered, they're in control and, you know, they take responsibility for, for their career and their job and their diary and their time. And so what I'm hoping is that if somebody's only working three days a week, you know, they really then kick hard at that. And it may well be they're working on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They can have a great weekend. They can have a great Friday, a great month. But when they're on, they're on. And they basically have to make the absolute maximum out of those three days. But that's what that individual wants to do. But I think if I look at, for example, my guys in America, you know, guys in San Francisco, works you know at the moment he's in lockdown on his own and he's the only guy in san francisco at the moment now his time difference is eight hours after me so he could be out and about getting takeaway beers every 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 afternoon 
and I wouldn't know uh, because you know I'm, I'm asleep. <laughs> but you know, you you trust Gats to get on with the work because he's building a business out there. The same with Nick in in New York. You know, I don't ra- run around. You know, and I need to do three Zoom calls a day with you guys so I can see that you're actually inside and not out on a bike ride with your mates. So it's all on trust. But I think the more trust you give people to come up with a plan. And then giving them the parameters, which maybe we weren't so strong on two years ago, you know, making it their plan, you know, and then they can build their why around that and what they're looking to do and why they're looking to do. I think works a lot better than us saying, look, you know, you're at this level. So we want you working five days a week. We want you in Manchester on a Monday, Wednesday and Friday. People push back on that. And I think, you know, Gen Z, you know, they, they don't like that. So just um so on the obviously which was one of the sort of key learnings then. So why don't you just talk a bit about that three day week, uh, those three days? Like what are the expectations then? So what firstly, so what are the outcomes? So I think I think um Rhiannon said this on the live podcast webinar, which I thought was great, was sort of the goals and outcomes that she's aiming for or the things that she can control. Yeah. Right. So which I absolutely love that, which is booking an interview which is registering candidates blah 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 so I guess what it'd be good to just if you were to just break down sort of the outcomes that you've set out for someone working three days and then also then this sort of as you were saying the boundaries and the expectations yeah I, I would say in terms of I mean this is still a work in progress we're getting all oh, this sure. place uh you know pre-July 1 and James May RND you know he'll have you know input on this and as, as will Sarah uh, so I would envisage that if somebody's working three days, then we would be looking at them arranging a minimum of two interviews a week. We would be looking at them registering a minimum of a candidate a day that you know they're looking to take to market. So we, we would imagine, uh, based on our kind of five-day stats and, and bringing them, them, you know, reining them in a little bit, that if somebody was registering three candidates, setting up two interviews, um, getting you know at least one of those to a latter stage end of a process. We would also then look at the social side. So are they basically posting you know a minimum of you know three updates a week on, on LinkedIn? Are they writing and, and getting out an ad and, and you know pushing that on LinkedIn? So there would be metrics around uh, not so much call time, and not so much about call numbers, but controlling the controllables are, you know, you can control registering three candidates. So if I said to, to you, Hisham, and you've not done recruitment for a few years, basically said, right, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll give you a grand next week if you register three candidates. I'd imagine you'd probably do it. Yeah, you back yourself to do that. Yeah. So, you know, you'll find them from somewhere. And, you know, the candidates, you know, candidates are out there at the moment with, you know, these difficult situations. So, you know, the, the ones that you, you shouldn't be failing on is registering candidates. You can't always control how many of those candidates get interviews. But over a monthly basis, if somebody was working three days a week, uh, whether that's full days, half days, however they're going to craft it, we would anticipate a minimum of, of 12 registrations and eight interviews confirmed mm. and arranged. And then a number of you know, interactions on social uh, so that they're not just liking and sharing, but they're actually coming up with some, uh, you know, data-related posts or something interesting about their market, their industry themselves, something. 
Mm. And then are they are then are those things that you're talking about there, they're they are they then the minimum expectations then? Like are they the sort of boundaries of like this is what we expect when you're working this? If yeah. if you're not achieving these things, then let's have a conversation as to why and if there's anything that we need to talk about. Yeah, I and mean, even if I think back to you know the start of uh, the whole COVID thing, you know, we, we had some people on the pitch uh who, yeah, you know, I want to work, I want to do this, and yeah, I want to crack on, who didn't meet those expectations in April. And so we then had conversation, just say, right, okay, so you know, you didn't do it in April, you know, how confident are you of, of achieving that in May? And if, if the answer was no, not so much, then it may be an idea to take some time to kind of reflect and, and kind of uh, take some time out and, and maybe do some furlough thing. But you know, people if people would have come to us and said, no, no, no I know I didn't do it, but I will do that and I will achieve that next month. They would have stayed on the pitch. Some of them didn't, and they're on furlough, and you know they've come back since, or they're coming back in July. So uh, th- those are the kind of minimum expectations. And, and to be fair, I've been very open and upfront, and I've basically said, look, as you come back in off furlough, everybody within Philly James is going to get a, get a chance to prove themselves, whether you've been in the business two months or ten years. But in the new world. As we get back, if you can't arrange interviews and if you can't actually do the minimum standards, it's unlikely they will be a Finley James future for you. Yeah, and I've, been, I've been very open and, you know, we've done town halls having that conversation. So I don't want anybody to come back in August, not arrange an interview and not be prepared for a difficult conversation. Yeah. I think I think what I love about that, John, and I think I think it's really evident of sort of what you do online. You you you've been very open with sort of where you, how your business is doing and stuff like that, which I think is amazing. By the way, um, I think what what's great about that is that I think there'll be huge, huge amounts of people on furlough right now that are really uncertain of the future of their job. Yeah. Right. And I think what I love about that is that you're communicating. That look, guys, these are the minimum standards, um, which, by the way, you're in control of. Um, so when you do come back on the pitch, these are the expectations that, again, you are in control of. And if we're not hitting these sort of things there, there's going to be a potential difficult conversation and you're letting people know. But I think what I love about that is, one, you're communicating it, and two, it's in their hands. Do you know what I mean? Which, are, which I think is the most important thing. And, and also empowering to know and that again as you said people to survive this and recruiters of the future have to be responsible they have to be accountable for what they need to do to um hit the outcomes that they need to but i do think there's there's a bit of a disconnect there hisham in that if i look at you know there's you know millions of people out in fur- on furlough I, I i do think there's certain people who because their financial position hasn't deteriorated uh, too badly. You know, they basically were meant to be going on holiday. They've had the holiday money back. Uh, they're meant to be going to festivals. They've had the festival money back. Uh, they were going to be buying clothes for holiday. They're not going on holiday. Suddenly, you know, they've got more cash. So my concern for the market a little bit, uh, and I think we've got to be all aware of this, is that I think some people think they're going to go back into my business or any other recruitment business August 1, September 1, and crack on as normal. If they don't up their game and kind of basically work that bit harder, that bit smarter, 
uh, and they're that bit more organized and disciplined, then they're going to be out of work. And that's across the board. And whether people are mentally preparing themselves for August 1, September 1, I'm not so sure. It's another story, yeah. Yeah, so I think, you know, if there's training out there, if there's <laughs> development opportunities, mm-hmm. people need to be taking that because some, what, what I see is coming back in August 1, July 1, whatever, I see the, you know, the playing field absolutely leveled. So all those guys who had 20, 30 vacancies haven't got any. Mm-hmm. So they're starting from scratch. Are they mentally prepared for that? Maybe not. Uh, the guys who were earning the 60, 80, 100K because they had a great client book that they don't have anymore, are they prepared to be earning half as much for doing the same work? Probably not. So I, I think, you know, business owners, because, you know, they're, they've been in it, living it, eating and breathing it for the last kind of three months, they've adopted and they've changed and they've, you know, I class Finley James now, you know, close to our 17th birthday as a startup. And that, that's, what, that's what I'm running at the moment. I'm comfortable with it. James, Sarah, we're comfortable with it. But can the individuals who've not been in the eye of the storm make that transition to the whole thing's changed or are they going to feel sorry for themselves and be living in the past? And, you know, I used to be a contender. Uh, and that, that's where it's going to be tricky. And I, I, I see a lot of people maybe on the bigger basics, who get overtaken by the, you know, the hungry uh, people who love the idea that it's back to back to the start. You know, nobody's got a head start. You know, nobody's kind of, you know, 20 paces ahead of them because they've got four or five clients. It's kind of, you know, let, let's go and let's let's see who, who's got the, the energy and the hustle to outwork sometimes the more experienced people. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's going to be interesting for sure. I think I did share the post about this today because I think I think it's it's definitely difficult. I think you definitely can't paint everyone with the same brush who, who are on furlough because I mean my my girlfriend's been on she's an office manager for a management consultancy and she's been on furlough from the very beginning and I think I'm sure you've heard it just the remark of oh I'd love to be on furlough be like being on a holiday. Yeah get paid to do it right and I, I just couldn't disagree with that more and um, personally just from my own perspective of my girlfriend being on an absolute emotional roller coaster and I think there's going to be a balance there John where yes you do need to you do need to keep your head in the game and and prepare sort of yourself as best as you can for what's to come um, but at the same time there's also getting through the days on furlough, <laughs> which is yeah. also a challenge. You know what I mean? So I think, yeah. I think, yeah, I think, um, I think you've got. To tr- there's just a bit of a balance there, and I think um, I, I do empathise with anyone that if they've been on furlough, been on the bench for that long, that they will be lacking a lot of mo- motivation at, by this point and finding it difficult. And I think, um, yeah, but and then there's, at the same time, if you are getting coming back on the pitch, then you've got to try and give yourself the best possible chance of understanding what to expect and be prepared for it. Otherwise, it could be in an even difficult position where you might not have a job. <laughs> it's yeah, hard. Yes, and, and I think the furlough thing, I mean, uh, Sarah's on, you know, I'm, I'm on the pitch, Sarah's kind of on the bench at the moment. And so, you know, we, we and even my children, you know, it's like, oh, you know, what's it like to be on, on furlough moments, stuff like that. And, 
you know, Sarah's kept busy and kind of, you know, got through a bunch of stuff and she's now looking to, you know, prepare for people coming back into the business in July. But uh, we're aware that every individual is different. But I, I, I did a, a post, I think, on Facebook a couple of months ago. And what, what I said was, uh, you know, if you are on furlough, yeah, enjoy the time, use the time, you know, look to develop, look to do stuff you've never done before. But whatever you do, don't waste it. Mm. Because I think the mental health aspect of getting to the end of furlough and you've done three or four months and you've done nothing and you've just wallowed in self-pity in bed every day, you know, that's no good. So what I kind of said is even if you chose an hour a day yeah, yeah, yeah. to learn, read, you know, improve, you know, I found myself doing that. So, you know, and I, you know, I've already put it on LinkedIn, but, you know, stuff that you've been doing, you know, I must have watched, you know, 20 30 podcasts between you know yourself sean yeah yeah uh, Dalta, uh the crn stuff and you know i'm getting my strategy and i'm learning and i'm developing from the stuff i learn from listening to you interview other people and you know that's important for me but you know that's also an option for yeah, yeah, yeah. guys on furlough that i think you know sometimes i think there might be a little bit you know is it you know is it cool not to engage? And you know, I saw a post yesterday from somebody saying, you know, clients and companies aren't engaging with their workforce. And if that's the case, that's really bad. And that's poor form. And we are doing that. But it do, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that if you're a recruiter and you've been on furlough for two or three months, it might be worth putting a call into your MD or your CEO or your sales director and say, look, you know, I'm coming back in August. You know what kind of stuff could have could have, should I be doing yeah. now, John or James? Yeah, it's a great thing to do. Great thing to yeah. do. And you know what? What I've seen is, you know, I I can spot the guys who are going to come back and hit it hard day one. Uh, from what I see on LinkedIn, and I can spot spot the guys who are maybe going to be slower to get back up to speed. Mm. And so you've got to take responsibility for yourself. So I think it's a bit like you know. Kids, uh, kids going to uni, or you know, thinking about that first day in a new job. You know, you see the guys. You know, they bought the pencil case. You know, they they they've got the books. You know, they've underlined everything. The back, the books are back, and they're ready to go. And you see the other guys who kind of look like they need another week off. <laughs> you know, yeah. so I think you know people need to take. You know, the responsibility is on the the companies to engage and communicate, but if you're not being communicated to, pick the phone up. Yeah, yeah. Use initiative. Yeah. And you know, get a Zoom call in, in the diary with your boss and say, right, okay, what well, I know you're busy. When can we work? When can we talk to thrash out a plan so I'm ahead of the get game day one? Yeah. Um, so look, but uh, as we come to, to the end of this, just just a couple of things just before we finish, John. Um so the first thing that I'm just interested, you're talking a bit about it there, like what's your sort of, I know it'll be like a case by case basis, but sort of how, what's the sort of time frame? I'm trying to sort of ask you around, if I'm coming back three days a week and there is going to be an element of like working out what's working for me, what isn't, like, I don't know, have you put things in place where it's like, look, on a weekly basis, we'll say how, what are you finding difficult? What's it, I don't I guess, how long are you get, roughly going to give people to sort of work out if they should be on the pitch? Do you get what I mean? Because I think that's 
that's going to be difficult. So I guess, is there a sort of buffer period there or are you making sure that, that everyone knows that they need to communicate what they're finding hard, what's working for them, what isn't, to help you understand if they should be staying on the pitch besides the minimum expectations and stuff like that? For me, a lot of it is mindset. And, you know, my whole philosophy on individuals, and, and this was the case early on in Furlough. So uh, if I go back to the end of March, you know, we let some people, some very inexperienced people, some, some people who had just joined us within a matter of two or three weeks. Uh, let's say we had a group of about five people who kind of came into that kind of formula. Now, of those five people, two stayed in the business and three went. Now, of the three that went, you know, what one or two of them were more experienced than the guys who said, but it was mindset. And so my whole philosophy on, I suppose, business, life, per se, is if people have got a growth mindset and they're going to try, then we will find a way to ensure they can succeed within Finley James and within recruitment. If people have got a fixed mindset and they're not going to try, I'm not going to try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to waste my time or the time of my billing managers on people who can't be bothered. Yeah. So yeah. You, you've heard me talk about this before. We, we talk about will and skill. So if somebody's got the will, we can develop the skill and we can get them where they need to be. If somebody's got the skill but they haven't got the will, we're, well, we're doomed anyway. So to, to answer your question, I would imagine, you know, one to three months from somebody returning to the business, if within that kind of four to 12-week period, they haven't shown they've got the will, the hustle, the drive, the positive uh, mindset to be able to kind of achieve in the new world, then I'm not going to basically kind of put my hand in my pocket for, forever yeah. on somebody who isn't giving back. So it's we need to see a response and we need to see positivity. Now, the interesting thing is, Sean, we don't need to see results straight away, but we need to see the mentality of the Yes, the will. Yeah, as you said. You know, yeah. If people are coming in feeling sorry for themselves and basically lowering the, the mood in the office and, and basically bringing everybody down because it's tough and it's hard, then they become a liability. And, you you know, from August, September onwards, people like me aren't going to be able to afford to have huge liabilities set on their payroll. Yeah. And then, look, final thing then, John, sort of knowing what you know through the, the things in the past, the Project Freedom, what you've been learning and the conversations you've been having, what, what would be, I guess, two people, what would be, firstly, your advice for recruiters that are returning to work? I think you've touched on a few things, but just to sort of wrap it up, if I'm returning to work July 1st or plan to, what, what would be your advice for people re returning to, to work, firstly? Yeah, uh, I think to answer that one, I, I would basically say that they need to, you know, have a conversation with their, their line manager, their billing manager, and it's right, okay, what what do you expect from me and what do you need from me? And what do I need to produce and perform on a weekly slash monthly basis to ensure that I'm still in this business jam too? So I think having that open conversation with your boss, so you know where you stand. So what you don't want is 
you don't want surprises where individuals are suddenly getting kicked out of businesses and they didn't see it coming. So I think openness and transparency between the employee and their billing manager is crucial. So I think if the individual, whether it's within Philly James or any other recruitment company out there, you know, they need to know what's expected so it doesn't come as a shock and it doesn't come as a surprise. I think, yeah, that's my... That's, that's great advice. Great advice. It, it's like basic recruitment, isn't it? Ask a question you don't want to hear the answer to. And like you, you want to... It's exactly that. I absolutely love that. And the great thing about that, anyone listening is you're in control of that. Like you decide if you want to get on the phone to John, your boss or whatever, and say, hey... Obviously, really excited to come back. Look, I really want to make sure I understand what the goalposts are. Yeah, love that. And then final just, thing. Just, just as an anecdote uh, before your final thing, actually, is when we did our town hall meetings, and we've done three now, uh, we gave everybody the opportunity to send through questions prior to a, you know, a live call with the whole business. And we had kind of like, you know, am I going to get sacked? <laughs> redundancies? How are you, job? There was a load of like quite interesting questions. And my answer to the one on, you know, are you going to get sat in? Just say that that that's I'm not I'm not going to decide that. You decide whether you're going to get sacked. Uh, because no business owner is going to sack an asset who's going to be good to that good for your business in the short, medium, and long term. You'll find another way to to do things. And what you do is, even when people are making changes, redundancies, getting rid of people. You know, you don't get rid of your assets, you get rid of your liabilities. So if you've got a, a pile of stocks, you know, you don't get rid of the ones that are rising in value and doing really, really well. You dump the, you know, the, the ones that are going to be a liability. So I, I say to every recruiter out there, you know, if you do what's expected of you and you show hustle and drive and, and the right kind of mentality and you ask questions. And you prepare sometimes for the for the difficult conversations and the difficult feedback. You'll be absolutely fine. If you come in half-assed and you know you don't really care and you're expecting to be sacked anyway, you know what you're probably going to get sacked. Yeah. And then the final thing before we finished is just sort of your I guess thoughts or advice for recruitment business owners that are sort of going through that process of okay, what does returning to work look like for my team how should i structure it how should i roll this out i guess any sort of anecdotes there or things that you'd share because maybe not everyone has access to the the trm membership or has been listening to what you've been listening to i guess what what should people be thinking about or um yeah have in mind when thinking about communicating and getting their their team employees back into work yeah a couple of things there and you know, what's good is, you know, through the like TRM, the networks and things like that, I, you know, I've got a lot of mates who run similar size companies to, to myself. And I, I pinch their ideas, they pinch my ideas and, and we, we share, which is great. But uh, I think there's a little bit of over communication. So I think there'll be leaders and there'll be managers who are spending more time talking to their staff. And it's more to make them feel better that, oh, I'm contributing, I'm doing something. But what's happening there is, you know, that's less time that's being spent with individuals talking to clients and candidates. So I think, you know, over communication and, you know, 27 Zoom calls a week to let me know what you've done in the last hour, I think is a a waste of time. 
I think, give people space. And, you know, I, I've certainly done it with, with our MD. I basically said, look, you know, you're running the show. You know, you basically come to me if, you, if you're stuck and if you've got, you know, a question or, you know, uh, a, a situation, uh, you know, that, that you need some help with. But apart from that, you know, get on with it. And that's the same with the billing managers, you know, have your meeting in the morning, get on with it, and then kind of catch up in the evening. But there's, I think there's over-communication, and I think there's there's a little bit too much of, like, you know, all the leaders in the office talking about it, uh, whereas I think you're better off kind of, you know, basically having your conversations and then getting out of the meeting room and getting on with it. So more doing and less talking about it, I think, is the, is the key. And be careful not to over-communicate because if people are working half days, say, in August or July, and you're spending 45 minutes in meetings with them, you know, you're leaving two and a half, three hours to actually get, get the, the graph done, and you're going to be eating into that. So more time talking to candidates, clients, uh, as opposed to ourselves, I think is going to be important. Nice. Look, John, really enjoyed that. Uh, confident that a lot of people listening would sort of get some really interesting things in there. Loads of stuff on there, but anyone that is listening, I think, um, as John said, if you're returning to work, I think really try and use your initiative and um, do everything you can to not be have any horrible surprises, which obviously no one wants to, to have, right? So, um, look, John, really appreciate you jumping on doing this. Thanks a lot. And uh, keep doing what you're doing. Okay. Thanks a lot. Yeah. See you guys. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I really want to ensure this podcast remains valuable and relevant for all of you. If you have topics or questions you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. Best place to get me is on LinkedIn. Just search Hishimazoos and drop me a message. I would love to hear from you. Finally, if you have two minutes, it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave an honest review for the podcast. It will simply mean that I can reach more people with this podcast. You can easily leave a review for the podcast by clicking the link in the episode notes or by going to ratethispodcast.com forward slash rollercoaster. Thank you again for listening.